know, marketing is a really good example. You could study a three-year marketing degree for you to get a job at practically any agency. You'd require two years minimum experience. If the system's broken, it doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. So I think that for us is the thing that we're trying to change. We're obviously keeping very much in line with the way that the world's moving, but we're trying to establish our own footprint. By 2025, 27% of the workforce will be Gen Z. Today's guest is getting ahead of that trend and working with brands and businesses that want to get insights from this growing segment of the working economy. From training to be a safari ranger in Africa to hyperscaling a talent marketplace that is giving companies like Upwork a run for their money, he has always been relentlessly focused on providing value to the world. But like all our guests, his journey has been full of ups and downs. And so today, we're going to talk about some of them. My favorite part of the conversation is when we dig deep into the product pivots that he had to make and the customer acquisition failures and successes required to reach scale. His name, Joseph Black, his company, Unitasker. This is the Dirt Podcast, and I am your host, Jim Barnish. Shout out to our sponsor, Orchid Black. And if you love what we are doing, let us know by posting about us and this episode on social media. All right, Joseph, let's dig right in. Tell us about the origins of Unitasker and what inspired you to create this platform. Cool. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, So my background, a little bit unconventional. Um, following finishing school, didn't want to go straight to university. So I went straight to South Africa, where I actually worked and trained as a safari ranger. Um, following an incredible year abroad, I decided to study animal genetics at university. Now, it was in my first year and my co-founder's second year that we stumbled into, I guess, what was and still remains to be the student financial crisis. You see, at the time, a number of our peers were either A, graduating, yet lacked the experience to go into their sector of choice, or B, having to leave university or college because they couldn't afford the cost of living. Now, for me, that felt like a pivotal flaw in the current education to employment gap, and I wanted to make a difference. So uh, you talk about your co-founder. Um, I know that you're not a technical guy. Uh, you know, Did you bring in a technical co-founder, or, or how did you guys kind of figure out the right mix of talent for, uh, for each of you? So it's, it's a great question. Um, to be quite frank with you, it took us a long time to get to that point. Um, it's hard launching a tech company without a technical yeah. co-founder. And my co-founder and I had to go through, you know, a number of challenges to get to the point that we are today. Um, you know, firstly, we looked at assigning an agency to build our first MVP. Uh, we were led down, you know, to believe that we had to go down one route. It's not to say there's one route for everyone. That route that we were suggested at the time was perhaps the wrong route. Um, it led to us building a product that was incredibly pretty, um, I want to say, but mm-hmm. highly, you know, it, it didn't, it, it lacked a lot of usability. It, the interface was nice, but retention was incredibly low because it wasn't built with purpose. It was built with design at the forefront, uh, mm-hmm. which was a hard lesson. You know, having spent three years practically building that initial product, we practically had to chuck it down the toilet, given that we had to pivot the concept. And at the time, we didn't require, you know, have the funds in place to rebuild our new vision. Um, so that was that was the first challenge that we faced, really. Then, um, because we had run out of funds practically, we looked at recruiting a technical co-founder to come on board and join myself and my co- my Ollie, my my main co-founder, um, to to build rebuild this product. Um, we went with gut instinct because, again, we both lacked the technical know-how to know whether or not this was the right person to rebuild this vision. 
mm-hmm. worked with him for a number of months um, under a lot of false promises. And ultimately, he left us a little bit in the lurch, whereby we got an email one day saying, hey, guys, so I've decided I'm actually going to head off to South Africa. And, um, you know, we were a year past our due date to get back to market. So we found an additional agency to come back in and basically rebuild the product and help us take it to launch. Now, I'd like to say we're in a really, really strong position. We we have a CTO who heads up our technical department alongside my co-founder, Ollie, who heads up our product, um, alongside a team of uh, senior developers that I hope ultimately helping us build our vision forward. So what's the, uh, what's the lesson learned there for other founders? Do your due diligence <laughs> is one thing. Um, there's a fine line between gut instinct and fact. Um, finding you know that line is incredibly important. Going out and doing research, essentially making yourself as well, you know, understand the industry as best as you can prior to making any, you know, impactful decisions, I'd say. I think had we spent more time perhaps digging into which route to necessarily go down, um, we perhaps would have, you know, fast-tracked our success. Yeah, and and how did you find the the right CTO or the ultimately right talent to bring your vision to life? Exactly, exactly that. You know, it was a combination between finding someone that, bought into the vision and understood, you know, more so than, you know, what was required from a technical standpoint, the impact that we wanted to have with the product, but also had the right amount of experience behind them to execute on the plans that we needed to achieve that goal, Um, which is, you know, an incredibly challenging thing as a startup. Often you're balancing, you know, between cash and what you'd like to be able to do. Um, So finding that person isn't necessarily easy. There's a lot of conversations to be had. But it's, you know, one that you shouldn't jump into too hastily because you can end up going down a very, you know, dark road with the wrong people if, you know, you don't find that right person. Was it somebody in your network that you found? Was it through referral? Was, you know, was it just kind of uh, blind luck that, that got you the person? Like, how did you ultimately end up finding that right CTO? Yeah, so I mean, for, for, fortunately, it actually came about through a recruiter um, who had a close relationship with one of our employees at the time. Um, so it, it was, you know, we, we were very lucky. But having taken on board the learnings that we had previously, we we're in a good position to understand what that right person looked like. Um, and I'm glad that we made that decision because our CTO, Travis, he's fantastic alongside the rest of our development team. Yeah, you know, I see, I see so many, uh, so many non-technical founders or co-founding teams, whatever it might be, making that that path where they, you know, they they outsource tech, right? Um, it might be they hire a firm that's really great at front end, like you guys did initially. It might be they mm-hmm. hire the wrong firm entirely, uh, or maybe they get lucky. But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, I'm not good at this, so let me find the right way to outsource this and. It's such a core piece of being a tech company that um, it's really hard to rely on somebody else entirely to bring your vision to life. Definitely. I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. And look, I think if, you know, Ollie and I had known the challenges that were in front of us early on in our journey, we would have worked a lot harder towards finding a technical co-founder to come on board from the offset. It perhaps would have mitigated a lot of the challenges that we were up against, you know, going down that path without one. Um, so that's a strong piece of advice there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really that's a really good piece of advice. All right, so we kind of breezed past what it is that you guys do at Unitasker, and I know you've been through a few what I would call product pivots, right? 
um, over yeah, the course indeed. of the years. Talk a little bit about um, how the, what the company does and how it's evolved over time to to get you to the point where you're doing so wonderful today. Yeah, so we pivoted we pivoted a number of times over the years. So the initial product that we launched was actually called UniDosh, and it was a student to student product. We realized, having tried to get the platform trading for a number of years, that students, incredibly hungry to earn money, super receptive to picking up tasks, do not want to spend it. Bit of a flaw in the initial concept. And boy, did we try everything. You know, we at the time, we focused on services such as DJs, after-party cleaners, um, whatever we could. Book a DJ. We'll give you a free after-party cleaner. You know, anything we could to get this community trading. And it just wasn't quite there. But they were so hungry to earn and to learn. Um, so that led to the change that, well, the initial pivot, which was opening up essentially the buying side of the platform to members of the public and businesses so they could harness this workforce, ultimately bringing in, you know, income from where the income was. Um, and mm-hmm. that that took us, you know, quite a while to get back to market. Um, initially took us a year longer than we had anticipated, um, in which time we lost practically every user that we had spent three years prior building. But I'd like to say that this time we started from experience as opposed to scratch. Um, so that was pivot one. And that, that was an incredibly interesting time for us. Uh, that was It was quite daunting, um, especially that period while the app was down for a year because we had spent three years working on this project. And suddenly, you know, we were, again, left reliant on developers to help us get back to market. Um, so we had to keep ourselves entertained. We launched a number of small other businesses in that time frame, actually, uh, to keep ourselves busy. Um, and then... The the next pivot was ultimately on the platform at this point, you know, both households and businesses could post jobs. We were primarily, you know, running our marketing towards households in the sense that we thought, you know, old, you know, um, cleaners, gardeners, dog walkers, whatever it may be, students have an abundance of time surrounding their studies. We then found, you know, quite quickly that students, you know, desired more experience-led um, work surrounding their studies as opposed to quick wins. Um, also, the value, you know, of the tasks themselves were a lot greater when it came from businesses as opposed to households. You know, you, a student could be paid 500 quid to help rebuild a website, for example. Um, so with that in mind, and also the scalability factor, you know, in the sense that when you're an in-person based task force, um, such as cleaners, gardeners, you need to practically have feet on the ground in every city or state, you know, that you launch in, uh, which is a challenge in itself um, because your marketing has to work even harder for you. Whereas when we pivoted to focusing on business services and primarily remote business services, our scale went from us being accessible in three cities to practically every city in the UK within the space of six months. And we've been able to replicate a similar model to that in the US. So is it typically a, a business that's signing up for an account and, and hiring business services? Like, is, the, is that who you're ultimately selling to is, is, is companies? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, anyone from a freelancer that requires an extra hand um, to an SME, SMEs are absolutely our, you know, our primary market between the UK and the US. There's, you know, 38 million businesses of which 37 million are classed as small businesses. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, these are the guys that ultimately require support. We've got a workforce of students here with a wealth of knowledge and you know modern day knowledge you know we'd argue that students are digital first they've grown up in this newfound generation and they're adaptable um so being able to offer businesses this resource that is students in a way that can better prepare the future of you know our generational workforce is something quite powerful 
So it's 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 students on one hand of the one side of the platform, right? The supply the supply, and then the demand side is small businesses, freelancers who need an extra pair of hands, whatever it might be. What what got you to the point where your you have students as the core focus on on the supply side? If the honest truth is, it's where we started. It was the mission, you know, that we led out to achieve. You know, for me, what success looks like, I don't want a single student to ever have to graduate and not have the relative experience they need to go into their sector of choice. I don't want a student to ever have to leave university or college because they can't afford the cost of living. Like to me, that's, you know, that's change. And that's what I set out to achieve. Um, Not to mention it's an enormous, you know, market in its own right. Um, So that's the reason that we kept true to those kind of core values. So if I'm not a student, there's no way for me to sign up for the platform. Not to earn money, but we'd be more yeah. than happy to have you on tasking our students. Sure, sure. No, that's that's great. So so is the is the go to market on the supply side then focused on relationships with schools and 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 community groups and things like that, or is it all direct? Not at all. This is where things get quite interesting. Um, so for years and years, my co-founder and I tried to find the best way to get people onto our app. And again, we tried everything, Google, Meta, PPC, billboard campaigns, and nothing quite hit the mark for us. Now, one day in comes my little sister, um, 17 at the time, I believe. And she goes, Joseph, TikTok, it's kind of a big thing. You know, we should really post a bit more about Unitasker on TikTok. Um, and it's TikTok app. And uh, I, I said, yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, give it a go. She went away. Five minutes later, she comes back. She's made this very short tutorial on the Unitask app. She goes, can I post it on TikTok? Sure, go for it, go for it. She posts this task, she posts this video on TikTok. Within the space of an hour, it's got 10,000 views. Two hours, 20,000 views. Three hours, 50,000 views. Never had we seen so much traffic in the five years prior to us get ultimately trying to grow this business. You know, it was this explosion of virality that ultimately came from a student, my sister, posting about the product. So then we looked at ultimately how we could harness our wider workforce to replicate just that. We realized that, you know, essentially we, we stumbled into the movement of the nano influencer, an everyday person who, when you can combine that group value, has enormous potential for growth. Yeah. And today, um, because of that growth, we looked at how we could replicate that for other brands. Um, we now have a separate entity connected to Unitasker called Shout, whereby we harness that same workforce of students, but as an army of nano influencers, content creators, and market research panelists. Last year, we were announced by TikTok as having the largest network of nano influencers in the world. We've got 150,000 on our books with over 500 million combined followers. And we've worked with anywhere up to 12 unicorns now to support them in their growth. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah, that's incredible, man. So uh, that explains the supply side, right? How, how about on the demand side? Like what, 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 what customer acquisition, what does customer acquisition look like um, in getting businesses and other folks on the, on the platform? Yeah. Um, so ultimately it's very intent based, right? I think, you know, there's an awful lot of awareness that needs to be established with any marketplace um, in the sense that someone might not necessarily need you at that given point of time, but you want them to be aware of you for when they do. 
right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of awareness-driven activity that we'll run to build up the brand's reputation. There's a big focus on PR, strategy, thought leadership pieces. Um, you know, CSR is a big, of big importance to us. We do a lot to support local communities. Um, when we launched in Manchester a couple of years back, we partnered with um, the Central Food Bank, whereby for every you know, initial new user registering to the platform, we donate a food parcel, having one of our students deliver that food parcel to the food bank. You Love know, that. through COVID, uh, thank you, man. Uh, through COVID, we re-engineered our technology to become better suited to the hyper-localized delivery tasks so that those more vulnerable or those more isolated could have essentially have this workforce on tap to help them with deliveries and errands. We had over 20,000 students step forward to help their local communities at that point in time. Um, so, you know, we always try and put big presence there. When it comes to pure conversion, um, it's very intent-led in the sense that, you know, Google search plays a really big part for us. Uh, ultimately, if someone's looking for a blogger or a designer or, you know, a website builder, we want to come, you know, be first in mind when they're, when they're searching for that. So what are what are some of the key metrics that are most important to you guys in terms of the success of customer acquisition efforts whether that's on the supply or the demand side are there are there any really you know focused metrics that you guys track Definitely, definitely. Um, we track absolutely everything. Um, you know, we're always looking to beat our numbers across the board. Um, I think for me, you know, what our goal is, we intend to build the biggest student community in the world. Um, so user acquisition and getting the right cost per install, for example, upon a student app member is incredibly important to us to build up that in-depth community. The way we retain students on the platform and build on that value add is through, you know, jobs that we provide, whether it be for our own business subscription subscribers uh, we've got a direct partnership with linkedin whereby we funnel in graduate entry-level positions into unitasker from linkedin um, we also have these shout orientated campaigns with creators that's how we build value but for us it's about building this database of, of students um, to heights that have never been reached by anyone else and you know i had a conversation with tiktok the other day and they identified that unitasker's cost per install for a student is perhaps the lowest cost per install out of any app running any ad on TikTok. Um, we have wow. built a machine for growth and that's that's the, our biggest focus. So it sounds like data-driven uh, is is kind of in your guys' DNA for product it's development. It's my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. So when you, uh, going back to some of the pivots that you mentioned earlier, what was it um, about uh, your final pivots and the, and the outcomes associated with that, that has really driven such significant growth from you guys? Because I know it's not just a Tic Tac campaign, right? It's not yeah. just one thing <laughs> that comes out of it, but like what, what was it that really fueled your growth? Yeah, so definitely that shift to focusing primarily on remote services as opposed to in person, as I said before, that was a really big factor in the sense that we didn't need to have feet on the ground for us to scale our database. Um, we suddenly you know, could scale at a much faster rate um, that's one thing. Um, also being able to replicate the, the model for growth in the sense that, you know, we practically run hundreds of thousands of shout outs, you know, for ourselves alongside other brands. We have a very good understanding of what works, what doesn't. But in building that database, we've been able to establish organic growth cycles as well that trigger further growth. You know, if you can get to a position where for every student that signs up or every customer that signs up, an additional three customers sign up as a result. Now that's powerful. Yeah, and I read something like 
70% or so of teams of, of business teams will have remote workers by 2024 um, as a more of a stabilization, not from a macro uh, climate change, but just from a general way of doing business shift. Um, Definitely. Is there, is there, are there any other trends that around remote or around distributed teams that Unitask is paying really special attention to as it relates to any of the markets that you're serving? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, post-COVID, the world changed. Um, people became far more susceptible to the new way of working. Uh, the gig economy has been on the, the rise even before that. I think for us, you know, whilst that's an interesting stat, really 70%, I think, you know, 100% of my current workforce are the future of our of our workforce, um, you know, which is why it's so important to get them trained up. You know, marketing is a really good example. You could study a three-year marketing degree. For you to get a job at practically any agency, you'd require two years minimum experience. If the system's broken, it doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. So I think that for us is the thing that we're trying to change. We're obviously keeping very much in line with the way that the world's moving, but we're trying to establish our own footprint. Um, and I think through brands and, you know, individuals paying greater homage towards what is the future of us, um, I think that we'll all be in a better position down the line. So how are you guys using the Unitasker platform for your own remote <laughs> distributed team? Yeah. So, I mean, funnily enough, like in the early days when uh, my co-founder Ollie and I started, we used students for practically everything, um, flyering, you know, logo design, building out our website. Um, we still use students. We run focus groups on the app. We run shout out campaigns with students on the app. Occasionally, if we need some data entry done, we'll utilize the platform. Um, you know, it's so handy to have that workforce on tap. And, you know, yeah. you never know when you're going to need it, but it's good to have it there when you do. So I, I know you guys got your footing there in the UK, but um, after after some nice regional expansion where you went city by city by city um, mm -hmm. or region by region or area by, by area, you have now decided to, uh, you know, start to make some international plans. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, about six months back, we incorporate, incorporated Unitasker LLC um, in the States. We've seen exponential growth. Um, we've seen anywhere up to 50,000 members now joining the platform. Um, wow. Yeah, individuals are coming in at a rapid rate. Uh, between the UK and the US, we're signing up anywhere up to 1,000 new members a day, uh, which is super exciting. Um, and US students are taking to it really nicely as well. I like US businesses. You know, we had a company sign up earlier, a new business subscriber earlier today. Um, I believe they're called Air, um, actually set up by Michael Jordan and his son. Um, yeah. And they've just posted a task looking to recruit um, college ambassadors. You know, like for me, that's so cool. I'm over the pond here in London right now. And to see a task being posted out there and for US students to be applying, it's, it's impactful. It's really cool. Well, you're probably going to need to get some sort of sponsorship from, from Air Jordan himself, if that's the case. Absolutely. If you're listening, MJ, MJ. 23. <laughs> <Come> on, MJ. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, uh, uh, so um, when you guys are thinking about the US versus the UK, right? Because this is an interesting, you know, we don't talk mm -hmm. too much about US versus other countries in terms of market expansion, because um, most of our guests are, are US based. It's usually the opposite mm -hmm. direction, right? So <laughs> when you're thinking about um, expanding to the US, what are some of the considerations that 
that you underwent to to determine, yes, it is time for us to expand to the U.S.? I think the sheer market in its own right um, was was a big you know decision um, because of the nature of our business and the ability to scale, given that we are primarily a remote workforce. Um, we didn't need to have feet on the ground again to be able to launch into a new state, um, which was because ultimately we could have a student in you know Ohio picking up a task for a business, you know, in New York. Um, so that was one thing. Actually, how difficult it would be for us to scale um, was, was one question. Um, you know, outside of that, actually understanding the wider market itself, you know, our business is as susceptible towards tasking students. Uh, we ran a lot of market research, a lot of surveys. Um, you know, having funds to ultimately allocate towards that expansion which fortunately because we work with a lot of large entities in the uk that also have establishments in the us we were able to drive immediate business in the us so it made the decision you know quite quite simple uh, for us it just gave us the ability to ultimately scale our revenue scale scale our growth opportunity um, and it's a move that our investors have wanted to see for a while you know they've wanted to know whether or not it could be replicated elsewhere but we had to achieve what we'd achieved in the UK for us to have the, I guess, the, the the guidance and the understanding as to which direction to go. Makes sense. As, as you uh, as you entered the US market, what challenges did you begin to encounter that you hadn't before? And, and how were you able to adapt your strategy mm. to overcome them? I think one of them being... Um, the tax system is very different. Ultimately, in the UK, you know, we have one one tax code for for the UK, um, yeah. like in terms of like income tax or well, not income tax, sorry, uh, like revenue tax, etc. Um, whereas I'm aware, obviously, in the US, there's different tax codes for every different state. Uh, so that was an interesting hurdle for us to get around. Um, you know, getting the company incorporated in the right way uh, was also challenging. Um, you know, how we split out. The, our share options essentially between the UK and the US entity. Um, hiring in the US was, was an, again, another challenge. Um, you know, where do you hire? Um, you know, the base living wage. So we're based out in LA, which we made the decision to do so on the factor. Whilst it wouldn't be the immediate choice, given that there's not so much of a crossover between the UK and, and you know, Pacific time, um, it actually allows us to be able to practically work 24-7 in the sense that when our UK team clock off, our UK team clock on. So, it, you know, it's worked quite favorably for us. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. There's been a lot of challenges, a lot of learnings along the way. We're still going through a number of those challenges, you know, right now. Um, we're still very much finding our footing. So like what are what are some of the challenges that you guys are still undergoing and and how are you working through those? Yeah, so like for example, one of the challenges is the actual mindset behind a lot of the students, uh, specifically the student creators that we work with out in the US. Um it's a very different mentality between UK students and US students in the sense that for a US student they're very cautious about the brand and how they're perceived by their peers and what they represent, um, as opposed to mm. UK students that who are, you know, to be quite frank, a little happier to, you know, take perhaps a lower payday to, to, to earn a bit of cash. Um, so, you know, when it comes to working with influencers in the US, we're practically having to spend three times, you know, that that we'd spend in the UK. Um, so, that's been a really interesting challenge for us to overcome. It's involved, you know, remodeling 
how, how we position it to clients. If we're on certain quota with clients in the UK that we're also working with the US, you know, mitigating the fact that actually the US is going to be a more expensive market for, for you to run, you know, advertisement across. Um, so that's been definitely a current challenge that, that we're, we're underpinning. Um, other than that, so basically, still, basically you know, we're too privileged in the US just to sum that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Thank, thanks. That was a lot of waffle to get to exactly that. So yeah, no, spot on. Um, no, it's, it's, it's super interesting. You know, there are new things that come up every day, um, but we're slowly weathering the storm and it's exciting. The growth's fast. Uh, it's fast paced and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, you say slowly weathering the storm. I think you're uh, moving a million <laughs> miles an hour through the storm. <laughs> uh, it's it's constant. It's a constant. Yeah, you know, you guys have experienced so much tremendous growth that I'm I'm sure your your leadership style has had to evolve and and grow as the company's evolved and grown. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what ways or or how you've needed to grow as a leader? Mm, yeah, absolutely. That, that's been that's been really interesting if I'm very honest you know personally whilst I've had work experience you know I, you know my first job was as working as a trainee barber then I, you know I worked in Africa as a conservationist and safari ranger you know I think I'm well cultured for sure um, but I never had the experience of working within you know a larger institution um, I think often there's people have kind of pushed towards believing there's a fixed way of doing things and I'd kind of argue that having not done that, it gave me the opportunity to build things in a way that I would want to see working, um, you know, how I would want to be treated um, if I had a boss, for example. Um, so I think integrity comes massively into it. And look, there's been a lot of hardships along the way. There's a lot of lessons, you know, that I've taken in the sense that I believe, you know, at the beginning, I'd speak a lot about myself and not so much about us. I think, you know, in my early days, I had the perception that I needed to be a boss, and there's a very big difference between being a boss and being a leader. You know, a mm -hmm. boss will dictate, a leader will work alongside you. And that was a lesson, you know, that I had to really come to grips with. And, you know, now I very much, you know, I'm very incredibly motivational with my team. You know, it's very important that they have transparency as to where we're at uh, without inflating the truth, you know, and that they're, you know, bought into the vision and where, and where we're going. And I think if you can work with a team in a way that, you know, they can add value, you can add value to them you know, you'll set yourself up for longer term success. Is there a, um, a leadership mistake or failure or, you know, I would call it probably a leadership opportunity that, that you, um, that you made along the way that you've learned from and, 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 uh, you know, something that other founders can learn from as well. Yeah, absolutely. I can, there's, there's a few. <laughs> um, so, I mean, firstly, um, Understanding when someone's not the right fit. I think often, you know, you build personal relationships with people outside of necessarily a work relationship, especially when you're a small team. Um, but when someone's not the right fit, it can be so detrimental to the business, the toxicity that comes with that person being unhappy within their role. And it might not be because they're a bad person, you know, they, they could be a great person, but it's just not the right fit. But them feeling negative in their day to day has such a spin-off effect on morale across the wider team, which has a wider spin-off on culture. Um, and if you don't tackle it in the right time frame, it, it can be a real downfall. You know, we had periods of time where one person would leave because, you know, again, they were acting quite toxic and then they ended up quitting. But then because they quit, others, you know, felt the need that they then needed to follow and quit alongside mm -hmm. them. And it can create a chain effect quite quickly. Um, so, you know, for us, 
actually installing um you know an appraisal process that was a big learning for me i'd never worked in you know as i said i've never worked in an organization outside of this so i didn't even understand the importance of actually running appraisals but having a quarterly appraisal where you know we have a touch point with each employee you know they have a ch- opportunity to you know to discuss things that perhaps they want to discuss you know being able to run for a performance review and setting key milestones in place as to what they want to succeed you know not not only do you have a better understanding of how everyone feels within their day-to-day roles um, and where perhaps there's improvement to be to be had from a management perspective um, Mm. but equally you have the capability to manage people out if they're not achieving on those goals and the morale is not where it needs to be yeah and and to your point just because they don't have quote-unquote the stuff for your mm. organization doesn't mean they don't have a different kind of stuff for somewhere else, right? There's Definitely. a place for everyone in this world. And it's kind of your job 100%. as the as the as the owner of the business, as the CEO of the business, to make sure they find that, even if it's not at your home, at, at your home base, right? So mm-hmm. how how do you counsel out like how do you how do you um manage that when you establish that somebody is not a fit? Yeah. And also further to that point, just because, you know, they don't, you know, necessarily have the right stuff. It might be that they don't have the right stuff within one given role, but actually given the opportunity to shift into another role could actually thrive within the organization. And, you know, I've I've seen this time and time again. Um, You know, one, we we, we have a campaign manager um, called Alex. He was a great campaign manager, but he felt quite stagnant in, in his role. He wanted the opportunity to progress and he wanted to change. You know, we ended up shifting his position into more of an SDR role where he has flourished. Uh, you know, it's, it's incredible. He's practically cut, cut, cut down our cost per acquisition for new leads by 90%. Uh, you know, and oh, it's right. because he's now happy in his day-to-day role. Um, right. So I think it's it's also, you know, finding that it's a fine line. You know, I think, you know, given, dependent on your relationship with the individual as well, it's sometimes important to warrant whether or not there is a better place for them within the organization. And, mm-hmm. you know, if the answer is no, you know, that's one thing, then it's about managing them out in the right way that, you know, doesn't become toxic for other employees. Um, but yeah, that would be my input. Yeah, so on that that that's great input. And on, on the flip side, I'm sure that's also helped to inform decisions on hiring, right? Um, mm. So how how is how is hiring as a whole evolved at Unitasker to make sure that you get as much of the right fit into the organization as possible? Yeah, definitely. I think you know at the time, um, you know, early days, we'd hire you know quick because we had a lack of experience perhaps and there were jobs that needed to be done um so we definitely space that out a lot more now you know we're we're a lot more like conservative in terms of when we do hire um but also make sure that we have the right time frame to do so in a way that we're going to find the right person as you suggest um you know culture is a massive thing for us um it's incredibly important that someone fits in within that culture um if they don't because you know i've had employees that are fantastic employees but they never quite gel with the rest of the team you know they won't wouldn't attend socials or whatever whatever have you and that's quite an important part for me within my team it's not say it's an important element for every team but you know we're a young team the average age in my company probably sits around 24 um you know like we're, we're a young team and we like to you know go out and have fun occasionally and you know it's important that we have people around us that want to get involved in those activities because if they don't you know it it just can create somewhat of a barrier between people within the workspace yeah yeah 
You question for you that I that I actually just thought of as it relates <laughs> to trends in your business. So there's this massive trend of uh, ma- open learning curriculum, right? Where folks are, are are taking courses online at their own pace, not necessarily through a university or through a college, um, but but um, their own learning. Do you on your platform? Do you allow folks like that to be able to participate, or is it just formal university students? Good question. And yes, absolutely, we do. Uh, we work with you know students from the ages of sixteen through to twenty five. Um, by no means am I saying university is the absolute way that absolutely everyone needs to go down. Um, you know, myself, it wasn't necessarily the route. You know, I left halfway mm-hmm. through studying an animal genetics degree to launch this company. You know, so I understand that there's not one path in life. We work with college students directly, at open university students. We work with students that are still trying to find what that next chapter is. Um, and it's important for me that, you know, people understand that, um, you know, we're here to help students as a whole, not necessarily, you know, just students in higher education that are enrolled in higher educational institutions. Yeah, I love that. I mean, for folks, for, for, uh, for students, I almost call them kids, but for students mm-hmm. that are, that are figuring out what their path is, so many of them are switching to this open curriculum and they also have more time probably than your average university mm. student to perform jobs and, and want to perform jobs too. So I, I love that. What, when you, when you look at, uh, Unitasker in a couple years, right. Um, what, what do you, and what do you envision as, um, what you guys have accomplished in a couple of years and, and how does that relate to some of the market trends that we've talked about? Yeah. So, for me, as I said before, it's about making change, um, which I feel very much like we're starting to do. You know, in the UK alone, in the last couple of years, we've seen over seven million pounds worth of jobs offered to the UK student community. Um, you know, so for me, that's that's impact. You know, when, when we're starting to make a change, but the scale has only just begun. You know, I think for me, not only growing that mass community of students in a way that can help them better prepare for that next chapter in life, but actually having you know, data to support that we have accomplished that, um, is incredibly important to me. Nice. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's close off on the founder five. This has been tremendously helpful. Um, so five quick hit questions around you, your growth and, and Unitasker's growth. So the first one is uh, number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. Retention. Um, we learned quite early that it's incredibly hard to get people in, let alone keep them. If you can keep them, you have to work, work less hard on getting new ones in. Amazing, right? <laughs> uh, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Adaptability. Knowing when something's not working and being able to make the decision to make change in a short enough time frame. Often that can be the difference between impending failure and you know imminent success. Absolutely. Especially in an early stage or growth stage business, right? Um, all right. right. Favorite book or podcast that has helped you to grow as a founder? David Goggins can't hurt me. (laughs) It's a bit unconventional. It's not necessarily an entrepreneur's book. It's a mindset book. Um, and I think as a founder, you need to have an incredibly strong, durable mindset to be able to come up against the challenges that you're going to face. It's a roller coaster. Um, and that book helped me for sure. You know, we've been doing this show for about a year now, and that's the first time I've heard that one, and I love it. That's a great answer. Um, All right. All right. Piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom. 
take that first step. Don't be afraid. Um, often life is daunting, um, but risk is required to make change. Hmm. Yeah, well said. And uh, finally, what is going to be the title of your autobiography when you've accomplished all that you set out to achieve? Hmm. Mama made it. <laughs> <laughs> Mama made it. Mama made it. Let's go. Oh, man, that's great. So you've you've given so much to our listeners today, Joseph. Time for a little bit of self-promotion. How can those listening help you out on your journey? Cool. Well, there's a number of facts. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we, we obviously we're, we're fresh, you know, in, in the US. So looking to make an impact. So please, whether you're a student looking to earn money and build experience, check out the app today. We're on iOS, Android and web. Whether you're a business looking to increase efficiency, reduce your running costs, hire this incredible workforce that is at your fingertips. Um, aside from that, we are about to go for a fundraise um, in the next couple of months. So if you like what you've heard and you'd like to find out more, boy, do we have a journey to go ahead with. And we'd love to have you on that journey with us. And, and what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you, Joseph? Sure. Either reach out at accounts at unitasker.com or via our intercom on our website, which is www.unitasker.com. It's U-N-I-T-A-S-K-R. Often people forget there's no E at the end. It's Unitasker. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, no. Find a job, hire for a job, or maybe even just check out their awesome TikTok content. If you're interested as an investor, capital raise on the way for Joseph and team to fuel growth. Well done, Joseph. And thank you so much for joining us on The Dirt. Happy to have you. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, Make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.